Welcome uh, those of you who are here in the room this morning in person. I know we've got some folks joining us online as well. Good to see you all. Uh, if it's your very first time here this morning, my name's Dave. I'm the lead pastor here at Connect, and uh, lovely to have you here. I hope you've enjoyed the morning so far. I hope you enjoy the rest of your morning. If you've got kids with you, I hope you're having a great time in Connect Kids. Um, I say that because I'm realizing more and more um, in the last uh, year or so, we've, we've got a lot of new families, a lot of new people who have found their way to Connect. We had our kickoff of our midweek small group launch just this last Wednesday, and it was great to see so many people uh, come to that. And it was what, one of the things that amazed me was how many new people were at that, people who were either new to Connect, or at least that's the first time you've taken that step of wanting to get more connected and be a part of our small groups, and I think that's brilliant. But... Um, I take that for granted sometimes that there are so many new people and I make the assumption, oh, I'm sure you know why we do what we do and why we do certain things that we do. And, and maybe you don't. Maybe sometimes uh, we've been doing these for a while, but because you're new, uh, you're, you don't know about that. So I'm actually going to uh, start out my message this morning by giving one of our announcements because I want to tell you why we do this. So this Friday uh, here in Washington, it's homecoming week, and this Friday is the homecoming parade. Now, if you live in Washington, if you grew up in Washington, you'll know this is a pretty big deal. The homecoming parade is, uh, uh, is, is all the schools close and uh, the parade happens. And what I've realized uh, living in Washington is you're either in the parade or you're watching the parade. I mean, everyone's there. It's like masses of people are in the parade, kids from different clubs, sports activities. And if they're not actually in the parade, they're watching the parade. I mean, those streets are packed with people. So what we did uh, in 2013, Connect Church, when we launched, was we decided we wanted to be one of the groups that marched in the parade. At that time, there were no other churches uh, that were marching in the parade, and we felt like this would be a great opportunity for us as a church to let the community know about us. Uh, it kind of really lined up with our vision of wanting to be a church that doesn't just exist for those who are inside the walls of our building, but we really kind of exist for our community to make a difference. So we had t shirts printed, and we, uh, we got some little footballs to throw out and some candy, and we had dozens of people. In fact, you can see a couple of the pictures from some of the years that we've done our parades, and it's just, I love it. It's one of my favorite things of the year because I see so many folks from Connect in the parades, and we're marching, we're throwing candies, but um, the people who are watching the parade, they're like, oh, there's that Connect church. There's those. So, um, What's happened, though, is a lot of these kids who were in the parade are now older. They're in groups, so they're not going to be in the parade this year. They'll be in different activities. So we have a whole new generation of young families and uh, folks who have just started attending Connect uh, to appeal to. So we would love it if this Friday you would join us in the parade. Uh, we have a truck and hay rack, so if you've got little kids, they can ride on the back. If you want to walk, it starts just the other side of the square and finishes by the high school. It's just a great walk around the square and down Jefferson. Uh, we get to throw out candy every year. We have to really kind of ingrain the kids because they get this bag full of candy, and the second they turn the corner from the park district, it's just like, whoom, every kid throws half their candy. So if you want to watch the parade, the place to sit is right Right on that first, because I mean, it's just like everything comes flying at you. We're like, hey, pace yourselves. We've got a long way to go, but they're just so excited. They can't wait. 
Um, another trick we learned a few years ago was that we also prepare bags of candy that we keep at the end of the parade route. So any kids who are in the parade, they get a bag of candy because we were seeing that kids weren't throwing everything out because they were like, well, I don't want to throw it all out because I want some of this. I want to, you know, throw pocket, throw pocket. <laughs> this was, you know, so we prepare a bag of candy just for the kids to have at the end. So you can throw them all out. That's totally fine. You're still going to get some at the end. But um, if you've never walked with us in the parade, we'd love to have you. You'll get a free t-shirt. You'll get some candy to throw out. So if you'd like to join us this Friday, we'd love to have you. It's just a great way of sending a wonderful message to our community of saying, hey, Connect Church, we, we love being here. We love um, being a part of our community. So um, there's a sign-up sheet in the lobby. You can uh, sign up there. And then I think Monday or Tuesday of this week, we're going to send out an email as well. There'll be a link in that email that you can uh, click on and sign up that way. So that way we'll make sure we reserve a shirt just for you and uh, give you some instructions about what time to be there. So join us Friday if you would. All right, so um, that's that announcement. I just wanted to kind of share that because, as I said, I know there's a lot of you who are newer to Connect and maybe don't know why we do this, so... Um, I wonder if you knew this. So Walt Disney, he was actually fired by a newspaper editor for the lack of ideas. They said, yeah, you're just not creative enough. They fired Walt Disney from this newspaper. He went bankrupt several times in his life before finally he uh, built this theme park that we now know as Disneyland. I learned this week that Babe Ruth, he set the record for the most home runs in baseball, but you know that he also holds the record for the most strikeouts. So not only has he hit the most home runs, he's, he's also got this record for the most strikeouts. I also found out that in 1954, Jim Denny, the manager of the Grand Ole Opry, or whatever that is, um, he... Uh, <laughs> sounds like a weird place to me. Who'd ever want to perform there? Uh, Jim Denny in 1954, manager of the Grand Ole Opry, he fired Elvis Presley after just one performance. He says, you ain't going nowhere, son. You ought to just go back to driving a truck. <laughs> so I'm really glad that these guys continued despite some of the setbacks that they faced. I'm glad that they didn't take no for an answer, that they were determined to work through um, because they were so passionate about music baseball, Mickey Mouse, whatever it was, it kind of drove them to keep on going. We're going to learn about a guy uh, starting today and for the next few weeks in the Bible who had a similar kind of passion and determination. And I think it's going to inspire us as we look at his life to, to want to be more like him. His name's Nehemiah. And Nehemiah actually lived 500 years before the birth of Jesus. So for the next few weeks, we're going to talk all about this, this gentleman by the name of Nehemiah. And here's why. We, we try to vary our content here at Connect on a Sunday morning. When we teach on subjects, we try and, and bring a variety of, of different approaches as we teach. Sometimes we may look at a book in the Bible like Psalms or Proverbs, and we'll look at them and see, you know, what's God saying to us today? How does, how does this writing from hundreds, thousands of years ago, how does this impact our lives today? Other times, we'll, we'll do a series, we'll look at a subject like fear or unity, and we'll say, okay, what does the Bible have to say about unity? Let, let's take a look and find some, some verses here and see how it can help us live our daily lives. And then sometimes, we'll look at bumper stickers, and we'll try to figure out if they're biblically sound or they just sound biblical. So we have these different kind of uh, directions we'll go in our series, but what we've tried to do over the years is from time to time is just look at an individual in the Bible to learn about him or her. 
We've looked at people like Jonah. We've looked at Joseph. We've looked at the roles they play in the history of Israel or the, the history of the church. And while it's fascinating to learn about these amazing men and women who had this incredible relationship with God and, and became, you know, like heroes of the faith, while it's great to learn about them and what they did, what I love is looking at them and saying, well, that was great, but how does that impact my life today? What can I learn from somebody like Jonah? What can I learn from somebody like Esther? What can I learn from somebody like Nehemiah? And how will that affect my life today? So for the next few weeks, we're gonna look at the life of this man named Nehemiah, what he got up to, but most importantly, I'm hoping we're gonna kind of come with an open heart to God saying, God, speak to me through the life of Nehemiah. Help me be a better person, be a better leader, be a better husband, mother, wife, employee, whatever it may be. Help me to be a better person as I learn about this man named Nehemiah. So, before we even start talking about him, let's, let's set things up a bit. Let's, let's take you to the, the world in which Nehemiah lived. So as I said, it was about 500 years before the birth of Jesus, about 500 BC. But if we go back hundreds of years before that, uh, we'll find the story of a man named Moses. Moses God used to rescue the Israelites. They were all slaves at the time in Egypt, and they were crying out to God saying, we just don't want to be slaves anymore. And, and through Moses, they were rescued. They went out into the wilderness, and for 40 years, they marched around. And um, finally, under the leadership of uh, Moses' successor, Joshua, they're taken into this place called the Promised Land. This becomes their home. This is Israel. This is where the city of Jerusalem is established. And for hundreds of years, these people, they grow, and this becomes their homeland, and it's just fascinating. And a large part of the Old Testament is the history of these people of Israel and the lives they live. But as they grew and Jerusalem grew and this beautiful temple was built where they would gather to worship God and they had this incredible relationship with God, there came a time about 600 years before the birth of Jesus where a, a tragic situation happened. There was a group of people, the Babylonians, they were a large force at the time. The uh, Babylonian Empire was um, expanding and taking over other areas, and they came in and they attacked Israel. They destroyed Jerusalem, they destroyed the walls, they destroyed the temple, and they took most of the people of Israel, most of the Jews captive, and took them back to Babylonia. This was a really dark time in the history of Israel. They were just broken as a people as they were taken into captivity. And for a long time, they lived there until another great nation, the Persians, a little history lesson here for you this morning, the Persians, they came in and they conquered the Babylonians. So now the Babylonians are out, the Persians are in, and the Persians now have all these people, not just from Israel, but from other areas that the Babylonians had conquered, living in exile in their area. And the Persians were like, we're not into this. We, we want you guys to go back to your own place. You can go back to your own lands. So suddenly the people of Israel were free to return back to Jerusalem, and many of them did. But not all of them. Enough time had passed that some of these um, Israelites and, and generations, new generations of Israelites, they'd kind of settled in this new area. They'd put roots down. They'd, they'd married. They'd become families. They'd got careers. And, and some of them didn't want to return. Nehemiah was one of those people. Despite being an Israelite, Nehemiah had a very significant role in the Persian Empire. And that's what we're going to learn about this morning. So let's find out why Nehemiah stayed. 
when other members of his country returned. We learn about it in Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 11, because we find out what he did for a living. It says, in those days, Nehemiah's writing this, in those days, I was the king's cupbearer. I was the king's cupbearer. As we continue on in this series, you're going to find out why this is significant. But, but what exactly is a cupbearer? Why would somebody want to stay if all they were was a cupbearer? I mean, it sounds like kind of a minimum wage job to me, like a, a server. You know, he's just relying on tips. You know, he's, he's the cupbearer. He's probably carrying a tray with drinks to the king. Like, why would that be appealing enough for him to stay? Well, it's because the cupbearer wasn't just a server. It wasn't just somebody who brought food and drink to the king. The cupbearer was this incredibly significant role that placed Nehemiah right next to the king of Persia. Other than the queen, there was no one who was as close to the king as the cupbearer. Because the cupbearer was more than just a servant. He was the official food tester for the king. Everything the king ate or drank was first eaten or drink, drunk <laughs> by Nehemiah. That was his job. He was the taster. Now, this morning, um, we have a cupbearer. You may not have realized this, but if you got a cup of coffee or a drink from our coffee bar this morning, every Sunday morning, Haley, the young lady who runs our coffee bar, she gets in here early and uh, she gets to the espresso machine out there and she's twisting the dials and she's fiddling. She's doing all this kind of chemistry out there. I don't know why. I just think when you get a hot drink, you put a tea bag in it, some milk sugar. That's all you need to do. I don't understand this whole coffee stuff. So just drink it the way God meant for it to be drunk with milk, sugar, and a cup of tea. But uh, you coffee people, you know, there's a certain way the coffee has to taste. So she gets out there, and even though we had it last week, things change, so she's, she's tweaking it. And every Sunday morning, before most of you even arrive, Justin, who's our creative arts um, director, he was here a couple of weeks ago speaking on a Sunday morning. I'll see Haley coming in and out of here with these little cups, and Justin will be t- yeah, no, not, not a little bit. And he's like doing this like fine-tuning, he's like, you know... You know, like, I don't know what he does, but, you know, really analyzing every sip until finally they hit it. And then she's able to make espresso drinks for all of you this morning because Justin, the cupbearer of Connect Church, has officially (laughs) tasted the coffee and said, it's good. We're good to go. So so if your coffee doesn't taste good, go talk to Justin. But... um, (laughs) But the cupbearer that Nehemiah was, he wasn't just like, "Mm, yeah, I think it needs a bit more salt. No, the reason he was tasting it is because in those days, one of the greatest ways to take out the leader of a country was to poison them. It happened a lot. So the cupbearer literally was tasting the food, was drinking the drink, and if he didn't die, the king got to eat it. That was literally his job. He's like, yep, still alive, you're good. So what a crazy job. I mean, the guy is like literally taking his, his life into his own hands every single time he ate or drank something. So it was a high-risk job, but it was an incredibly important, significant job because it literally put him next to the king. There was none closer to the king than the cupbearer, and that's going to be very important as we continue to look at the life of Nehemiah. But for now, we're going to look at something that took place in in chapter 1, the very first part of Nehemiah's life as we read about it. He's in this high-risk job. He stays when his fellow Jews return because it's a great place to be. But then something changed. 
something changed. And I've got to warn you this morning that this will be a, a challenging message for many of us this morning because I think this is what we're going to learn from Nehemiah today is that, that many of us this morning, we may be doing okay. Our lives are pretty good. We're happy right now with where things are, but, but God is always on the move. I feel like God is always wanting to see us grow and, and uh, change and, and mature and become more like him. So, so things will happen in our lives. And just when we think things are good, something changes. Maybe that's why you're here this morning. Maybe you didn't grow up going to church. You're, this is kind of new to you. And the reason you're here this morning is because something changed. A friend or a family member invites you to come along. Maybe, maybe there was something you felt like was missing in your life. Things were going great, but just recently, you feel like something has changed. And you find yourself here on a Sunday morning. You find yourself watching online on a Sunday morning because you're, you're looking for answers. You're wondering, is there more to life than just this? Something is being stirred in your life. And as a result, you find yourself here today. Things were going great, and then something changed. It could be that you're following Jesus for a long time. Life's good. I'm happy with where I'm at right now. The family's good. I, I love my relationship with God. I come to church on Sunday. But then something changed. Something stirred the waters. And you just feel like God is up to something in your life right now. And that's exactly what happens to Nehemiah in chapter 1. Let's read about what it was that took Nehemiah from being this comfortable, successful cupbearer to the king becoming a man on a mission for God. Nehemiah chapter one, verses one and two. These are the memoirs of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah. In late autumn, in the month of Kislev, we love the month of Kislev, it's not too hot, not too cold, all you need is a light jacket. In the month of Kislev, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes' reign, I was at the fortress of Susa, Hanani, one of my brothers, came to visit me with some other men who had just arrived from Judah. I asked them about the Jews who had returned there from captivity and about how things were going in Jerusalem. You see, Nehemiah, being a Jew himself, he was curious. This is the place where there was no internet, no social media, no uh, cable news network. So he really had no idea what life was like back in his um, hometown, his home place of Jerusalem. So, so some people come through and he's like, hey, how are things going back home? And their report catches him off guard. They said to me in verse three, things are not going well for those who return to the province of Judah. They are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem has been torn down and the gates have been destroyed by fire. We're gonna talk more in the coming weeks about the significance of there being no wall and no gates. But for now, he's, been, he's received this news from these people that things are not going well. And these next few verses, they give us an insight into the kind of person that Nehemiah was. Verse four, when I heard this, I sat down and wept. In fact, for days I mourned, fasted, and prayed to the God of heaven. Just four verses into this, this book that Nehemiah wrote, his memoir, we discover that Nehemiah was a man of empathy. Nehemiah was a man of passion. When he heard this news from Jerusalem, it broke him. And think about it. Here's Nehemiah. He's living the life of luxury. 
He's in a Persian palace right next to the king, and he gets this news that really has no bearing on him or his life whatsoever. This news from Jerusalem, it has no impact on him other than the fact that he is Jewish and the people who are, are, are in misery are also Jewish. This was a place that was miles away. You know how Nehemiah could have responded upon that news? Wow, sucks to be them. <laughs> but that doesn't affect me. That's not my problem. That, that's their problem. Hopefully they figured that out. But we discovered that Nehemiah was this man of empathy. When he heard of someone else's pain and misery, it, it took him to a place of pain and misery. It broke him. I wonder if we are like that this morning. I think we actually have the opposite problem to Nehemiah. He lived in a place where there was no access to, to news, cable news, social media, so he had no idea of some of these difficult things were happening in the world. We're on the opposite um, end of the spectrum. We are inundated every day with news stories and, and different reports of things, that so much so that it almost oversaturates. It just becomes noise to us, just some of the tragedy and the brokenness that's in the world today. I read this week about a story, um, this took place back in 1964, a young woman in Queens, New York, um, she was stabbed to death in the street one night. Her name was Kitty Genovese. Some of you may be familiar with this story. Because what made her murder even more tragic that night in New York was that afterwards they discovered that 38 different people living in apartments nearby either saw the attack taking place or heard her screams, but none called the police. Initially, people concluded that this was just a, um, a sad state of affairs, that how is it that these people living in these urban centers now have become so cold and callous that, that they could hear or see something like this go on and not do 